What's going on, Connect? Everybody doing good? Good morning, good morning. My name is Pastor Derek, and I want to welcome you to Connect if you're here for the first time. In fact, I want to do this. I want to welcome all our online and, and cable viewers as well. Can you guys give them a big hand? We want to welcome you to our service today. Good to have you. Uh, on that note, I thought I'd share something really cool um, that just happened this last week. Um, the viewership grows, and, and sometimes we don't realize that things happen beyond the four walls of, of our church and our own little world sometimes. And uh, I've had a relationship with a pastor that's kind of um, uh, distant but uh, changing on Facebook. And this pastor has been um, kind of pursuing me for resources and, and beyond and even a visit. And anyway, um, he's from Pakistan. And uh, he was sharing with me kind of confidentially uh, that some of the resources that he's been, um, you know, using from Connect have been spreading. In fact, last week uh, they took a message that we, that we uh, gave here maybe two weeks prior to that. Um, they were sharing it in a particular province of Pakistan that I can't even share, can't show you the pictures or anything like that because of the, you know, the threat to their lives in many respects. But people were driving five hours to go and watch a video of me preaching service here in a particular location where basically the gospel has been very dim and no ministry has been taking place for many, many years. And, and I got to see pictures of me on screen where there were just dozens and dozens of people in this dark room watching me preach. And he said 32 lives came to Christ uh, last week in that experience. Isn't that cool? Just so cool. Uh, he just sent me another message two days ago. They went into another province of Pakistan, and 13 more decisions were made for Christ. And so I want to just say, we're praying for you in Pakistan. What an awesome, awesome thing to be able to share the Word of God worldwide. Amen. Isn't that cool? Anyway, you get your worship guides out, and you can follow along with us um, either in the guide itself or also on version. Uh, as you can see very quickly, we are hitting pause on the series that we were doing the ABCs of financial freedom, which has been uh, probably more than what people are different than what people are expected. We really want to just see people free and finance. It was just, it's been an awesome series so far, but felt like uh, directed by God to just kind of talk about what is happening in our culture today and with the upcoming election, kind of what should our, our, our responsibility and position be uh, in a time like this. And so the message is entitled, In God We Trust. Everybody say, In God We Trust. So where did that come from? Actually, amazingly enough, a pastor wrote a letter um, many years ago in 1861, on November of 1861, Pastor Watkinson wrote a letter to the U.S. Treasury Department, and this is what he said with this particular phrase. He presented a picture of a coin, a cool picture with this, uh, with this phrase kind of... Um, not embalmed, but uh, associated phrase uh, written on this particular picture. He said, this would make a beautiful coin, um, and again, this, th to which no possible citizen could object. In other words, here's this picture, here's this phrase put on it, and he's basically saying the United States would recognize this as so important back then to value relationship with God. Here's a picture, here's in God we trust. Who's going to kind of, who's going to push back on that because that's where they were at this time? He said, this would relieve us from the disgrace of heathenism. This would place us openly under the divine protection we have personally claimed. Isn't it interesting that that's then and this is now, right? We have a really different, well, that, that's not the kind of letter that would be welcomed and received necessarily 
at the U.S. Treasury Department today. So if you're coming to church today for the first time, you're probably thinking, oh boy, you know, church and politics, a little nervous. Others of you are like, I can't wait to hear what pastor says. (laughs) Poke your neighbor, you know who you are. (laughs) All right. So if you're a little curious, uh, we'll get into it. But let me just kind of is what I would call sometimes crack the crowd. How many of you would admit or just say, you already know who you're voting for? Just raise your hand if you know who you're voting for. Okay. How many of you have no idea? You have no idea yet. Okay. All right. How many of you uh, are just like, just can't wait for it to be over? <laughs> okay. I knew that would get an all play. All right. How many of you kind of, you don't have to raise your hand on this one, but you know, you just think like, I just like the controversy. You know what I mean? Like you're glued to the television. It feels like 24-7. Social media addicts rising all the time because you just want to hear and listen to everything and you can get consumed by it. I know I've been kind of consumed by it myself and you can get caught up in this stuff. And um, I was just watching a few people in my sphere of influence and uh, recently at the gym I was just watching this guy and, and it seems like every time I see him he's like literally kind of, he's a provoker, you know what I mean? Like I don't really know what his position is, but he sure likes to get people riled up about it. You know what I mean? So you might be one of those people, you know, and if you are, we want to lay hands on you before the service ends today. So, and it may not be prayer. Okay. Praise the Lord. (laughs) We're going to lay hands on you. Security. Anyway, so um, Psalms 33, look in your notes. Let's read this scripture together. Those of us who call upon the name of the Lord, let's read this church to get this, this verse together. Psalms 33, 12. Let's say this out loud together on the count of three. One, two, three. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. Amen. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. So I want to talk to you about in God we trust. And I'm going, to, I'm going to try to find this balance carefully between kind of church and church's role in politics. And so if you don't like what I have to say, you can email it to idontgiverip.com. Praise the Lord. No, I'm just kidding. I'll, I'll, I'll look at it maybe. All right. So I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. So let's get a few things out in the open. I'm not going to tell you who to follow, who, I, who I'm following, who I'm voting for or trust. Or, I'm not going to tell you who to trust, none of that kind of stuff. Really what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to encourage most of you. Because I think under this whole election is fear. It's fear of the future. And so yet I feel like we are in the most opportunistic time maybe in human history as the church of Jesus Christ. This is the time actually for the church to shine, not hide under a bushel, okay? And so it's a time for the church to kind of rise up, and I believe it's a time when the body of Christ, what we call believers, are supposed to kind of uh, sometimes, not like in-your-face confrontational, but invitational. You know, sometimes boldness is, you know, I used to say this is a definition. Boldness isn't like getting up on the kitchen table or the cafeteria table in the middle of school and saying, you're all going to hell. You know what I mean? And, and it's not that. No, it's, it's when the opportunity pops up, sometimes you need to speak up. Sometimes we need to speak up. We need to find that balance. And ultimately, the answers are not sometimes what we think. It's what God says. Jesus is the answer. Jesus has the answers. The Word of God has the answers for us. And unless you may say, you know, there's just no good choices, what's the best choice? Unless Jesus is on the ticket... <laughs> There isn't a best choice, okay? 
So ultimately, our, in, in a figurative sense and literal sense, our president is not in the White House. It's, it's on the white throne of God. You know what I mean? It's, it's on the throne of God. And so we do have to have leadership in our lives, delegated authority in our lives, and I believe in that. But I just want you to know, ultimately, there's an ultimate authority, and we need to put our trust, our faith, and our hope in him. Amen? Just some practical things before I get into something that I really want to share with you. One, I would just say, practically speaking, there's a lot of bonus information, a lot of extra notes, because there's no way to pack it all into your worship guide. But I would just say, be careful what you believe is said through the media. Kind of as a family and as a staff, we've been saying things like, the news isn't always the news. Yes, no, maybe, okay. So, so sometimes there's a, there's a position or a posture that the media holds, and it's not always accurate because fundamentally controversy sells, okay? That's why the Kardashians is a top show. That's why Dance Moms rocks, okay? And so you're like, what? Anyway, uh, it's just because controversy sells, okay? And so if people get all into that. we got to make sure that we find the balance there. Another thing is educate yourself. I think we need to educate ourselves beyond the two personalities at the top of this whole process because there's more to this election than two personalities. There's parties, there's platforms behind that, and we need to know what those platforms stand for. We need to see what's happening at a state and at a local level and educate ourselves. Don't just do what your grandmother did. Don't just do what you did last year, which might be the wrong decision or nothing, which is very common. Uh, we need to learn for ourselves. We're going to stand accountable to God for our lives, We're gonna have, and so we sometimes need to examine ourselves and make sure, number one, are we in faith, and then are we in faith and action, and that requires sometimes educate, educating yourself, and next it means voting. Voting. In other words, don't complain. And this is kind of a controversial subject. Some people have decided who they're going to vote on, who they're not going to vote on, or just, just abort the whole process altogether. And, and I would just encourage you, uh, don't have an opinion then if you're not going to be responsible to be a part of the process. There's 400 million Americans. Approximately, some people say, 100 million evangelical Christians in America today. In 2012, half of those evangelical Christians registered to vote, and only half of those actually participated and did vote in the 2012 election. So that means 25 million out of 100 million. 100 million is a big population to be able to influence the culture of America today. And we are sometimes disengaged, often very disengaged. Some of that because of what we talked about a few weeks ago about the spirit of tolerance. And I highly recommend, if you didn't listen to that, that you get that. But we still live, live in the best country in the world. Can I have a better amen? We live in the best. If you don't think so, then you need to go on a mission trip with me. I will show you how much better this country is in very short order. It, it, you just don't realize sometimes how blessed you are. And so when you realize how blessed you are, you should participate in what makes that blessing possible by being a part of this process. This democratic process gives us the opportunity to influence. There are other parts of the world that don't have that process. This is a freedom that was fought for. And, and it's dishonoring those that have, the veterans that have gone before us to fight for this freedom. It's dishonoring them to, to disengage in this process. And that, that process, uh, that, that, that freedom that's been afforded us, this goes all the way back uh, to, the, to the late 1700s. The First Amendment, you know, the, the ability, freedom of speech, the, the freedom of religion, the freedom of press, the freedom to assemble. Even sometimes, you know, participate in... Government and what happens with government. We dishonor those that have gone before us by dis disengaging from this democratic process. 
Anyway, that's just some practical stuff. I think we should need to be a part of the process. I'm not gonna, we don't have voting booths downstairs, so don't anybody get nervous or anything like that. Okay, I'm just saying, get in the game. Get in the game. All right, so here's some stuff that may guide you from a more aerial view, kind of global perspective. And it all started with, for me, I was just uh, studying the children of Israel. And whenever you see the children of Israel in the Old Testament, it relates to us as the church of Jesus Christ here today in a new covenant situation. And so I was thinking about the direction of our country, uh, our communities, uh, even the prophetic calendar and where we are, kind of in what, what God's word says about that. And it made me think about, it's going to sound a little weird, but the plagues in Egypt. And before you get nervous, I'm not saying God's bringing plagues, but anyway. Um, but I was thinking about the ten plagues, but there was this one particular plague that kind of got overlooked, I think, for some of us. And again, my purpose is to equip and encourage you this morning because I want to talk to you as a church so that when you leave, you don't walk out of here afraid. And you see that the things that happen in the Old Testament contained and concealed are explained and revealed in the New Testament for us to live and walk out in our world today. He hasn't, God hasn't fallen asleep at what's happening. He's not on vacation. You know what I mean? He's, he's not checked out. He's got a finger and a pulse of what actually is happening. In fact, his word will always reveal kind of, it's like a road map, not just for living and life, but also the things that are how to, how to manage culture today and how to deal with what's happening in our world today. In fact, sometimes he speaks to men and he might speak to you through a man or he might speak to you through other godly influences in your life. But in the Old Testament, he would speak through what were called the sons of Issachar. The sons of Issachar in 1 Chronicles chapter 27, or excuse me, 12, it says they knew the times and understood what the people of God should do in them. And so sometimes we need to know what to do and, and, how, to, and how to understand these times and navigate these. And back in the Old Testament, Moses was a deliverer, a type of Christ that was bringing the people of God out of slavery. Amen. Do you guys know this story? Some of you, if you don't know it from the Bible, you certainly watch Charlton Heston on TV. That's funny, I don't care what you say, but anyway. <laughs> but he was sent to deliver the Israelites with ten plagues. One of those plagues, the ninth plague, was when darkness covered all of Egypt. In fact, it was, it was so, so dark. In Exodus chapter 10, in your notes, verse 21, here's what's going on. You couldn't even see your own hand in front of you. It says, the Lord says to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that the darkness spreads over Egypt. Darkness that can be felt. How many know that's dark? That's like Halloween dark. Okay, and so Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and total darkness covered all of Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or move around for three days. It was so dark you couldn't move. You were frozen in fear, frozen in fear. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. I want you to see a parallel to today because I want to encourage you that no matter how dark the world might get out there, no matter how difficult, even what Pastor Jesus was saying through that final song that we sang in the worship experience, we have light in our dwellings. Amen. We are the light of the world. We're the salt and light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be overshadowed or squashed or, or diminished or marginalized by the darkness of this world. You have something inside of you that the enemy wants to just kind of snuff out. And get you to be afraid. And get you to think, oh, this world's so dark. You know, we're going to hell in a handbasket. This whole thing's going down a toilet bowl. It's over. No, you are the light of the world. In fact, when chaos comes, we must shine the brightest. As Christians, our reflex default should be chaos. Ha, ha, ha. This is an opportunity for the church to be strong, to stand up, to show the way. The black, the gray is going away because it's going to be darkness and light. 
darkness and light. Is everybody with me? So he's calling us to be the light to the world. Here's what I want to say to you as I get things going here. Here's your challenge. Please write this in your notes. It's probably not in there. It's sort of a big idea, but it's more of a challenge. It's kind of a, it's kind of a question challenge. But will you put your faith above your politics? Will you put faith above your politics? Because you need to know that Jesus didn't come to reform government when he was here. When he returns, he's not going to reform it. He's actually going to replace it. But until then, the lasting changes are made not by reformation but by transformation. And transformation comes about when the things that we say, we believe, and espouse, we actually put into practice and take action on them. Practice beliefs. Some people say, oh, I believe in being generous. I believe in giving. Yeah, but do you do that? Well, no, I don't really do that. Well, then you don't believe it. I believe, you know, what it, you know, I believe in certain principles in the word of God. You know, I believe I'm under his authority and I do what he says. Well, does it transfer and translate into your everyday life and lifestyle? Well, the things that will change our culture today, transform our culture today, is when our values and beliefs are actually practiced in our life. So why this challenge? Because politics is not going to heal the nation. Legislation is not going to heal our nation. Will you put Christianity above being a Democrat, above being a Republican, a Libertarian, an Independent, whatever you are? PD, I am. I am. I'm putting my faith above my politics. I definitely am doing it. That's why I'm a Republican, because every Republican knows that God is a Republican. God's a Republican because he's right. I'll let that take effect for a second. He sits on the right hand of God. So clearly, he's a Republican. There's no doubt about it. Jesus sat with publicans and sinners. And publicans is just short for Republicans. So you're like, of course I am. I am putting my faith above politics. Some of you might say, well, I'm putting my faith above politics because, because I, God is obviously a Democrat. He's a definitely, God is a Democrat, so I'm a Democrat. Jesus went about, the Bible says, doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. He was a walking and talking health care plan <laughs> with sandals on. Everybody knows. Everybody knows he, he fed the masses two different times. He fed thousands. Everybody that came, he just fed them all free. Just fed them all for free. It was free. Just free welfare for everybody. He's clearly, clearly a Democrat pastor. Jesus, I mean, he made it very obvious because he said it's very, it's, it's impossible for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man. So he's obviously for the middle class. Jesus is a Democrat, Pastor. I am putting my faith above my politics. See, so whether you're a Democrat, a Republican, a Libertarian, Independent, some of us think that here's the problem with that. The problem is we all look at our life through our opinions first. See, if we start with opinion and then move to faith, we'll always get messed up and off course. If we start with opinion and then go to faith, we're going to get off course. We have to put faith first, faith is, is at the forefront of our beliefs and our life, and then our politics are subordinated to that. Look in your notes. Proverbs 16.2 says this. We are all in love with our own opinions, right? I love my opinion. That's why I talk about it all the time. Convinced they're correct. In other words, I'm right. That's like 90% of the church when I was growing up. It's just like four people praying in a corner. We're right. We're right. Squinting a lot. 
You know what I mean? That's what can happen sometimes is we just focus on being right all the time based on what we see and how we see it. But, everybody say but. but. This is a big but. That's funny. Anyway, the lo- <laughs> you're missing opportunities. The Lord, it says, but the Lord is in the midst of us testing and probing what? Our motives. Our motives. So I want you to just check yourself a little bit. The Bible says to examine yourself, to see if you're in faith. If you don't examine yourself, you'll be examined at some point. See, we have an opportunity now before Christ returns to kind of check ourselves and see if we're in the right position. Is opinion leading and guiding me or is his word leading and guiding me? So what's my responsibility in all this? How do I navigate and participate in what's happening in our culture today, specifically even the election? First thing is, and I spent a lot of time on this a couple weeks ago, so this will be a short point, but you have to pray for your leaders. Pray for your leaders. You know, it's funny. Sometimes we put this point not even in our messages, sometimes not even in our lifestyle because we've minimized the power of prayer. It's sad, really. First Timothy 2, 1 through 3 says, I urge, Timothy said, I urge then first of all, so what's the priority? Do this first. I'm urging you first that petitions, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and some of those that I really like. It doesn't say that, everybody. It says, and all those in authority. What's the incentive? Prayer always has an incentive. He rewards those who seek him. He rewards those who pray and come to him. It says this, that we may live peaceful, quiet lives in godliness and holiness. And when you do and you pray like that, it's good and it pleases God, which is what we should do. It's not in your notes, but Philippians 2, 14 through 15 tells us, Philippians 2, 14 through 15 says, do everything, 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 everything without complaining and arguing. I see a lot of complaining and a lot of debating. And so it's one thing to have a professional orchestrated debate. It's quite another for for Christians to be caught up in that amongst themselves and amongst culture. So we have to be careful so that no one can criticize you. We're supposed to live such clean, innocent, godly lives as children of God that we shine like bright lights in the world full of Crooked and perverse people. See, there's, I think what's supposed to happen right now in the culture we're in, as things continue to go forward to the return of Christ, is there's going to be less gray. It's just going to be all-out Christians and, and all-out wickedness. That's what it's going to be. And you're going to have to decide kind of where you, where you want to be and how you want to live your life. Here's the second point in your responsibility is, I think this is imp- imperative that we see it this way. Partner with an ideology not an individual. An ideology, not an individual. See, if we look at the individual, we can get caught up. We get caught up in the personalities. See, people are making decisions today. I don't know how to say this because it will sound favoristic or there will be a favoritism to it. But, But a lot of people are being surveyed and they're deciding to follow somebody just because the way they look. Maybe the way they look. Or I'm not going to follow somebody because of the way they look. I'm not going to follow him because of the way he looks. I'm going to follow her because she's a woman. I'm going to follow him because he's a, you know, something external. It's always external and surface. We're not looking beneath the surface at what these personalities or people represent. Is everybody tracking with me? If you surveyed most people, we've been almost duped. And there's been almost a mask or veil over our eyes where we're looking off the surface. And we're not looking beneath the surface. So we need to partner not with an individual but with the ideologies. We have to put faith before our political opinions. Proverbs 18.2 says, fools have no interest in understanding. 
I don't know what they stand for. I don't know what they're, what's important to them. I don't know what they're up to, what the, what the agenda is and the purpose is. I don't know what their vision is for our country. That's, that's foolish is what it's saying. They just all want to air our own opinions. See, so I need to put my faith first. How do I do that? Before you can put your faith first, you have to solidify your biblical worldview or your worldview. That's your next fill in the blank. Solidify your worldview. See, John, John, Joshua chapter 14 kind of supports what I'm going to say, but, but God doesn't have a side. He's not Democrat, and he's not a Republican. He doesn't have a political party he's associated with. He doesn't have a side. He is a side. He's a side all by himself. Who are you for? I'm, I'm for me. Neither. I'm not for you. I'm not for you. I'm for me. Okay? So we need to understand that he doesn't have a political agenda like we do or like we see. He, we cannot legislate light. Light is not legislated. It's for all people. It's not going to happen. So we're the ones as the, the body of Christ is the physical representation of Christ on the earth called to spread that light to the earth. We've been given this role, this ambassador role. An ambassador is a person who's a part, lives in a country, is in it but not of it. And we're called to bring something to that country. So sometimes the Bible refers to us as foreigners or sojourners. Like we're passing through. We are spiritual beings having a temporary human experience here on earth. And sometimes we're so caught up in earth, we don't pay attention to the fact that this is just part of a journey for us. Is everybody with me? You you may not believe that, but you need to believe that. You need to believe that. What is a worldview? A worldview, what does it mean? It's simply a lens that you look through in which you view your life and how you make your values. It's your, it's your lens. It's, it's like, do you, have, do you have worldly glasses on or do you have God glasses on? How do you see the world? How do you determine the way you live your life out? Your worldview will influence greatly how you respond to agendas, to external pressures, to peer pressure, to circumstances, and, 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 and what's determined by it as a result of your views. Now, your Christian view, if you have one, is under a siege. It is being attacked today. There's a lot of pressure for you to not have a biblical worldview today. Uh, in fact, we'll talk about the importance of the scriptures in the new year. A series, I'm going to call it text, and so you definitely want to be here for that. We'll talk about the authority of scriptures, why we can follow it, is it God's word, why can I trust it, all those things. But, because, but the minute that you, you proclaim or you declare a Christian perspective that because of that lens that you look through, you will be labeled, consciously or unconsciously, overtly or, you know, or, or be hidden, but people categorize you, they place you in culture as maybe narrow, maybe intolerant, maybe judgmental, and so on. Is everybody tracking with me out there? Because, and this problem is not new. This problem has been around for centuries. In fact, I was recently, just in my devotions, the last couple of days, I was, I was studying uh, Daniel and his three amigos, Rakshak and Benny. That's how I learned them. <laughs> you know those guys? And Daniel was, was a godly man in the middle of a shifting culture. See, the Bible says in Hebrews 13, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The thing is, he stays the same, but sometimes his followers change. 
yesterday, today, and forever. We're not, we're not supposed to be shifting. We're, supposed, we're not supposed to be moving with culture. We're supposed to remain constant in culture. And Daniel was one of those people that did that. And, and his people uh, were, were sieged by Babylon, Babylonians, under King Nebuchadnezzar. And, and they were all taken out of their, their homeland. And they were taken to uh, and under the, the leadership of King Nebuchadnezzar. And they were recruited fundamentally because they were good-looking and smart. And so, and I probably would have been selected for that group. <laughs> what? I don't understand. I'm just seeing if you guys are there. And, <laughs> and, I, and I think that while they're, while they're in this three-year internship to be able to serve in the king's court, um, while they were there, culture was putting pressure on them relationally and in their practices and lifestyle behavior. One of the lifestyle pressures that would come upon them was to eat the king's food. So as a, as, a, as a believer, Daniel and his three amigos, they had a certain dietary plan they lived on to stay strong spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically. And, and yet there was this pressure to eat the king's food. And if you didn't eat the king's food, that could be subject to discipline and even death. In fact, Daniel knew this was coming. And in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, it says that he purposed in his heart, by the way, before the test came, he purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's delicacies or be given to much drink. So before he was tested, because the character had already been formed in him, the faith that was in him was already being practiced ongoingly. No matter what the consequences would be in a culture, he had already purposed in his heart. I'm not going to change the culture. Somehow, some way, I'm going to hold fast what I say I believe. And so he came, by the way, Character is not made in crisis, it's revealed in crisis. So we have to forge this in advance, okay? So, so Daniel is, goes to the person, the supervisor that's over him and says, you know, if, it, if it's possible, I would rather not eat this food. If you will allow me to not eat the king's delicacies and eat the food that I've been raised on, you know, just granola and pulse and vegetables, disgusting, no protein shakes in there, where was that? Anyway... He said, I will, we will outperform everybody. And the guy, at the risk of his own life, because he had gotten favor with this man because of the clean living, as I mentioned in Philippians 2, 14 through 15, that's how we should live. He said, okay, I'll do that. And they performed 10 times better than everybody else that was selected and recruited to this leadership academy. And the king recognized them, and they performed tremendously well. See, you can be in culture, and your, and your values can remain constant, and there can be a place and time where you're able to be an influence on culture instead of culture being an influence on you. Can I have an amen? amen. But if you don't, culture will continue to try to put pressure on you in your practices, even in your identity. Now, what is not known sometimes by many people is that Daniel and his three amigos, they, they had different names given to them. These names were labels. They were definitions. They were trying to redefine who they were. In fact, Daniel was named Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar means you're a lady. You're a pretty lady. It was a mocking statement. It was trying to almost like redefine your gender, try to say you're, you're different now. It was an attempt to kind of label him and redefine him and give him a new name. Hananiah was named Shadrach, which means God is mad at you. God isn't for you. It was an attempt to get him to look at the world and say, look what God did to you and blame him and live in victimization, which is a big problem in our culture today. 
Mishael was named Meshach, which means despised. It's a man's attempt to destroy the confidence that was on this person, to get him to never speak up, to live, you know, in this, in this, in, in this tolerant capacity, to separate beliefs from life, faith from action, maybe even take it to its furthest extreme, church from state. Azariah was named Abednego, which means servant. This was man's attempt to turn him from a son to a slave. It was man's attempt to make living hard and difficult and get you to kind of steal your relationship, that you were an heir, that you were special, that you were significant, that you had identity. The enemy throughout culture would like to rename Christians and label you and change your identity and ultimately try to change your destiny. We need to see what is happening in our culture today and learn to hold fast the profession of our faith, to know what we believe in and whom we have believed, to know who you are and where you come from, know your purpose, and purpose in your heart, regardless of what tests would come, not to defile yourself with culture's delicacies and change with the shifting culture. Culture will try to tame you, try to lose, get you to lose your convictions and claim you as, as its own. And if we allow this to happen, then we will continue to see, but we'll move our behaviors, instead of moving our behaviors to our beliefs, we'll keep moving our beliefs to our behaviors, and there will be chaos, chaos. And the church of Jesus Christ needs to hold the line. And when we pass these tests, like Daniel did, with wisdom and with grace, there are great rewards and great breakthroughs. Throughout history, great men and women of God have been able to influence not only kings but entire nations because they held fast the profession of their faith. And they put faith above politics and culture and all the pressures that come with that. Can I have an amen? amen. Romans 12.2 says this, And do not be conformed to this world, competing worldviews, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove and know what God's good, pleasing, and acceptable will of God is. Because if you don't have your worldview right, then there'll be competing worldviews. Materialism is a competing worldview where you, the acquisition of things and the monster of more and keeping up with the Joneses and I need this and I need that and the new this and the new that. And secular humanism is a competing worldview that is prominent in our society today. It's, it's this me generation. I'm the center of the universe. I'm top dog. You could flip dog around and say, I'm, I'm, I'm really God. I'm really God. I'm the center of it all. Secular humanism is doing that in our world today. I had a friend that my wife and I ministered to years ago. She used to go to the gym that I went at around the street down the corner here. And uh, she had a two-letter name. I won't say her name, but it was kind of like Deej, DG. It was just this weird, weird thing. Sorry. <laughs> and, you know, how about a vowel? Can we just have a vowel? Anyway, I'll buy a vowel. Anyway, um, <laughs> So she had this interesting name, and so I remember witnessing to her and talking to her about faith, and she was really intrigued and open, and I remember praying with her to receive Christ, and it was awesome. And then ultimately, I bought her a Bible, and I remember bringing it into the gym, and I had inscribed her two-letter initials on it, and um, I said, I wanted you to come to church with me, and she, she came to church, and this was back when my daddy was a pastor, and so I can blame this part on him. And so uh, she came to church, and, and there was something that was said, and it really was just, just, it was just the Bible, and she just, she didn't like it, apparently. She didn't say anything. She just kind of didn't come back. So I remember calling her and saying, hey, what's going on? What happened? You know, where you been? And, and she basically said, you know, I respect you, Derek. And, and she said, but basically, I'm more comfortable with my, home, my own homemade religion. And my friends, they have their views. And my other friends have their views. We, I think we all have to have our own homemade religion. 
And see, that's, that's what secular humanism can do. There can be this mixture of Christianity and culture. And when those two things begin to co-mingle, which is what the Lord has warned us of over the centuries, then we can find ourselves being pulled further and further away from the truth and relationship with God. Is everybody with me? Hedonism is another prolific problem in our culture today. This is where everything that feels good, do it. If it feels good, it must be right. And, and I think hedonism is where happiness is God. See, I believe God is good. But, but God is not preoccupied with our happiness or our comfort. He's preoccupied with us fulfilling our purpose, knowing that we will be happy as a byproduct of that, right? So we don't serve happiness. We serve God. In the process of serving God, we find fulfillment. Everybody with me out there? Yes or no? Okay? So, but hedonism takes over. And so we, we, we be suffering in some place of our life. And so we pursue happiness thinking that God wants us to be happy only to justify our sin. So we say, oh, this is okay because God wants me to be happy. And so people, I've been front and center with people in my office, and they'll say, God is okay with me having an affair because of the abuse and all the different things that, I'm, that have been taking place in my marriage. See, that's hedonism, and it's extreme. Is everybody with me? Yes. Pluralism is another kind of opposing worldview. This one is rather insidious. This views uh, that all roads lead to the same destination. You've heard this. You've been confronted with this. You've, you've experienced this. Everybody is just... Uh, it just speaks different languages, you know, different gods, but it's all going to end up at the same place. I was on a flight to uh, Texas last year. I was coaching a friend of mine, and um, second leg of the flight, uh, I'm tired, and I need to study a little bit, but I'm tired. So I put my noise-canceling headset on. Notice the cues here. And I sit, I sit down, I pull up my computer, and I'm just going to kind of listen to music and study my notes because I'm going to be speaking at this church. And this lady starts talking to me into my noise-canceling Sony headset. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, do you notice? These are a headset on my head. You know what I mean? You're probably thinking, what kind of Christian are you? I, didn't, I, just, I just didn't want to talk right now. And so all of a sudden she's like, hey, so you know, tell me what you're working on. I'm like, you're looking at my computer, too? I'm like, I'm getting upset. And so, so finally, I, I take off the headset. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And this lady could talk. I mean, her words could mow a lawn. And she's just going. She's going, going. And so finally, you know, I surrender. I surrender. And, you know, it actually became sort of interesting. And she begins to tell me that she's a life coach. I'm not against that as a profession, if anybody's a life coach. But she shouldn't be coaching. And, and... <laughs> <laughs> and she starts pouring out all her problems. I'm thinking, you're the life coach. <laughs> and she's like asking me for advice and all this kind of stuff. And she's finally, she's like, what do you do for a living? You seem so, you know, like you can help people. And I'm like, I'm in sales. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm a spiritual architect. You know what I mean? It's complicated. What's that? I'm like, you don't want to know. It's really complicated, you know. Finally, you know, I go in there, and she's just listening to everything I'm saying, and she's totally open, and she's I'm just really, really learning a lot from there, really receive it. And I share my faith, and I share how I came to relationship with Christ and how he changed my life, and I overcame this and that, and she just loved it. She was just all in. She says, I, she says, I believe so similar to you. I believe very similar to you. I believe, I believe the same thing, but I just believe that all roads lead to God, you know, and, and we're going to just get there different ways, and I like your way a lot. But I just don't think it's the only way. 
This is pluralism at its finest. It's, it's mixed with kind of, you know, uh, kindness, and, and there's just a, there's a gentle side to this or whatever, but it's a dilemma for us as Christians, I'm just saying. There's a rub in, in this sense because Jesus said otherwise. And she was an awesome lady, but basically she's saying that you can go through Allah, you can go through Buddha, you can go through Mother Nature, you can go through your belly button, you can go through all kinds of things. She didn't say that, I said that. To get to God. But Jesus said, come on, Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So that's, that's a biblical worldview that we have to decide, are we going to follow? And so we have to solidify our faith and put it above our opinions because if we're not careful, then we can create a theology around our feelings and, and even our logic and even our reason and what our opinion is. And our beliefs can be inadvertently shaped by our culture instead of shaped by Christ. Is everybody with me? So a Christian worldview says something completely different. It says, it says Jesus isn't just Savior. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my boss. I don't, feel like I'm, I don't feel like it's restrictive or legalistic. I actually feel protected under the shadow of the Most High God. I feel protected. I don't feel restricted by that. I feel like there's freedom being under Jesus as my Lord. You know, the, the, the Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace. I feel better underneath that. I believe that as a, as a Christian worldview that the Word of God is inerrant, that means it's without error. It's infallible. It's total truth. It's inspired. It's breathed from God. Everything that I wrote came from God. Everything that is written in the scriptures came from God. I believe that. And so it's an authority for my life. I don't look and open the Bible and go, mm, I don't like this page. I'm going to take that out. That doesn't apply anymore. You know, that's, that was for a different time. No, I believe that God's word is timeless. It applies to all times, in all situations. And sometimes it will offend. I don't think we should willfully offend. I'm not promoting that. I'm not saying get up in the cafeteria, stand up there with a big fat Bible and start telling everybody, you know, where their final destination is going to be. That's not what I'm telling people to do. I'm just saying Jesus offended people sometimes. Initially, Jesus was hailed as king. Later, he was nailed as the king of the Jews. So, so Jesus even offended people. So sometimes it's going to happen. I believe in a biblical worldview that says this, that we have a dual citizenship. Yes, we're here in this earth, but we're not here for long. We're not here for long. We're seated with Christ in heavenly realms according to the scriptures. We're not a part of this government. We're a part of his government. Amen. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, the Bible says. So it's on Jesus, not my shoulders, praise God. You know, as strong as they are. No, I'm just kidding. So my vantage point is not from earth to earth. My vantage point as a dual citizen is from heaven to earth. So the windshield that I look through is completely different, which alleviates and eliminates a lot of my fears and trepidation about what is happening. Um, three things that you need, the third thing you need to understand is this. Understand also the origins of authority. Are you guys getting something out of this? Sorry if it's a little preachy. The origins of authority. This is probably going to be the hardest part of next, next week and a half is that, you know, November 9th, we might be really upset with the uh, results after Election Day. You might be. And so that's why this point is so important because how in, I, I thought, and I know you have, so I'm going to be transparent. I thought to myself, how in the world did we come down to these two options? <laughs> my God, my God, have thou forsaken me? That's what I think. And if you don't think that... 
then you're more Christ-like than me. You're Jesus, as far as I'm concerned. I think to myself, why would God allow something like this to happen? How could, how could he have these two top picks in our nation today? And so I've watched all the debates, and every single debate, I'm just like, oh, my, oh, my, Jesus. I, I, I prayed more during the debate than I did the whole previous time. And so let me, let, me, let me try to help you understand this, and this is what's helped me. Is see, you see, the reason we have what has been presented to us is because this is where we are as a nation. This is where we are as a nation. If you look at, again, back to Israel, and you look at the relationship that Israel had with Egypt, a type of world, what was easy for God was getting Israel out of Egypt. What wasn't easy for God is getting Egypt out of Israel. It's amazing because they had a trip from, from the Exodus was supposed to be an 11-day vacation, worshiping in the wilderness, having a great time celebrating what God had done. Let's leave Egypt. Let's go to the promised land. And it took 40 freaking years. <laughs> 40 years. He had to like almost dispose of a complete generation. Starts with a new generation, and they get into the promised land, and very short order, this new generation rises up, affected and influenced by culture, commingling of culture, and all they could say was, we want a king, give us a king, we want a king, give us a king, give us a king, give us a king, give us a king. They're just going over, they want, we want to be like all the other nations of the earth, which was exactly what God didn't want to happen, because of what would happen, which is what's happening is everybody tracking with me and so he gave him judges that didn't work then he gave him a king and and, and things just started unraveling he wants to be our king he wants to be our king and so though we have kings presidents leaders or whatever we have to understand we are not a part primarily of this we are dual citizens we are here to serve the king of kings and so maybe this is what's happening today maybe the leadership we have before us is a product of the values that portray our nation right now. But we can change that. We can change that. This is where the church is supposed to rise up. And I'm trying to motivate you that all through history, believers in similar situations to what we are facing today have been able to influence the outcomes of rulers and nations. Daniel, Esther, Joseph, all those people that I mentioned before, we have the answer. We have hope that they don't have. We have an anchor that they don't have. It's, it's not up to me. It's up to us together to do this, where we can shift what is happening in our schools today. We can shift what is happening in our morality today. We can shift what is happening in local, state, and national government, is what is happening today. Because you don't realize, and you need to be reminded, that you have incredible influence because you have the Holy Spirit within you. And greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And so sometimes we have to live our values out loud. And speak them out. Jesus is the hope of the world. Amen? So don't say, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. No, you do know what's going on. History is repeating itself. And it's time for the church to shine. Jesus had maybe three political conversations in his life on earth here. One was Jesus in the tax. It is render unto Caesar what is Caesar. You've heard that story before. You may not know this or remember this one. But after Jesus rose from the dead in Acts chapter 1, he assembles with his disciples, and they basically said, hey, now are you going to restore government? Now are you going to come back and kind of rule and reign? Are we going to be in your cabinet? I mean, they're still holding on, even after the resurrection, trying to bring back what they thought he was going to do. 
But one of the most amazing kind of maybe political conversations took place between Jesus and Pontius Pilate. Pilate was given authority and jurisdiction over the Jews in a particular province. And he was in a precarious position where he wanted to be, um, uh, obey the, the, you know, what he, you know, Rome. But at the same time, he wanted to be liked by the Jews. But the Jews come to, to Pontius with this, this man, Jesus. And they basically say, we want him killed. We can't kill him, but you can. We want him dead. And he's like, no way, Jose. And basically they say, he says he's greater than you because he says he's a king. So they're trying to appeal to his ego. And Pontius is like, whoa, whoa, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. So he eventually uh, asks Jesus this question. Do you, do you think you're a king? Are you, are you, in fact, a king? After he investigates, Jesus says this in John 18, 36 in your notes. Jesus says, listen, this is important. My kingdom is not of this world. Now, we're Christ followers, so that should be the same for us. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now, in other words, at this moment, my kingdom is not from here. Now you need to understand this. Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross. He knew uh, who he was. He knew his assignment. He knew his mission. He knew why God had put him in this place, in this situation, and he's going to die. And Pontius Pilate at this particular time is look, the lens, his worldview is through the lens of a worldly, earth to earth view. It was circumstantial. Jesus' worldview was from heaven to earth. As a result, he saw things completely differently. Pontius Pilate saw Jesus' death as a complete failure. Jesus, because of his view, saw that man had been separated from God for thousands of years. And because of the sacrifice of one person, all sins could be atoned for, not only then, now, and forever, because of his death. It wasn't a failure. It was the great greatest victory of all because of the rugged cross we have light for the whole earth Jesus saw it as a victory because of the way he looked at it and because of how he understood authority Pilate didn't understand that and so Pilate comes to Jesus and says Jesus you don't understand I have the power to crucify you and to kill you look at Jesus response in verse 11 of chapter 19 Jesus said this and this is going to help free you from fear when you leave today and when you go forward in the world he says this Pilate you could have no power at all against me unless it has been given you from above praise God there's no power or no authority that we see in the earth today that didn't come from God, which leads me to my final point. At the end of the day, support your leaders. No matter what happens on November 8th, of course participate. Get involved. You can make a difference. But when I say support, I don't mean you have to like everything that happens. You don't even have to like your leader, but you do have to submit to your leader. Because when you understand all authority comes from above, you can handle everything that's happening down here below. That's what happens. And you may not like that, and I don't like certain things about that, but that's why Paul in Romans chapter 13 verse 1 gives us this instruction from his word for us as Christ followers. By the way, contextually, as he's writing this, it's during a time when great persecution is happening for Christians. Way worse than what we're having right now. Nero was king, and Christians were being fed to lions. 
Christians were being lit up on posts in his garden on fire for entertainment. And he writes this to you and me and says, Let every soul be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed from God. You might be thinking, well, what on earth? How could, could God have appointed these two particular people? The answer is yes. Yes. Say, so, well, what is his plan? I don't see his plan. I don't necessarily see it either, to be honest with you. But God has a plan. And his plans for us are good. And he has a hope and a future for us. And the Bible tells us in Proverbs 19 that many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purposes that will prevail. He's going to get his prevailing purposes done on the earth. We have to decide as men to lay down our opinions and to exalt faith above that and get in line with what God is trying to do here on the earth. We may not agree with it, but we must submit to it. And we may see the life is out of control, but it doesn't mean God is out of control. Never confuse life with God. Never. And as, as, as I was thinking, for you, thinking about myself and thinking for you because I get so caught up in some of this stuff, I, I sometimes think we need almost like a revelation, a picture of what God is trying to do. And I was thinking about how important it could be to see uh, God in the proper perspective and what's happening in the earth today. And I thought about the prophet Isaiah, who's a phenomenal, he's known as one of the major prophets. In fact, he's so famous for Isaiah 53, where he prophesied more than any other prophet about the coming of Jesus and Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 53 and other places. And he basically, in very great detail, described even Jesus' death on the cross. It's phenomenal. 600 years before it actually happened. Some people say, How do you, why do you follow God? Because of prophecy, fulfilled prophecy. And there are many yet to be fulfilled, but many have been fulfilled. But Isaiah had this, this major voice, but there was a time when he didn't. In fact, you know, he, it, one of the reasons his voice was soft at one particular time, from Isaiah chapter 1 to Isaiah chapter 5, you'll see that his prophetic voice was rather small, rather soft. And I believe it's because he had a, 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 a close relationship with King Uzziah. He loved and was in relationship with King Uzziah. And as a result, during that time, his voice was heard small. But in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, what happened is, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And I said to God, what are you trying to say? What is the word for the church today? What is the word for me today? I think this is important for what God said to Isaiah was the same thing that he wants to say to us. Listen, Isaiah, you trusted in a man. You trusted in the kings of this earth. But I'm the man. And I'm the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. I'm going to be here from everlasting to everlasting. And every single situation that you see and that you've submitted yourself to is ultimately submitted to me and it's been appointed by me. And so I want you to know that I'm the man that you need to serve. And I want you to see that I'm sitting on the throne high and lifted up. And I am not overcome by what is happening here today. And you don't have to be either. Can I have an amen? I want you to stand to your feet. Will you stand to your feet? Let's pray. We're way over time. God bless America. <laughs> Would you just close your eyes and bow your heads with me just for a minute in just submission to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, we return to you, God. I think about many times in the word through prophets, through prophets and prophecy, you said, return to me, return to me. I pray for your church that they would return to you, O oh God. And they would not lose sight that you are on the throne. Would you give each person in this room a revelation like you gave Isaiah? I saw the Lord, and he 
was sitting on his throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. I pray, Lord God, that we would see you. That when we leave here today, we're not afraid. We're filled with faith. We know that we are amidst something for a purpose and a plan and that God is large and in charge and he is still in control and he is still on his throne and he wants to use me in the middle of culture with wisdom and with grace and with truth and with power and with anointing in Jesus' name. For every person that's here, I pray that they go out of here charged, anointed and appointed to do the work of the kingdom here on earth. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and you're here today and you don't necessarily know him personally, you haven't submitted your life to him and so it's hard for you to submit to anything else and yet you really believe that God is speaking to you and he's drawing you to himself. If that's you, it may be unorthodox and different for you. I'm not going to call you out down front, embarrass you or anything like that. But if you want to surrender your life to Christ, then I want you to raise your hand good and high and say, that's me, Pastor. Would you pray for me before I leave today? God bless you. God bless you. Yes, yes. Is there anybody else I don't want to miss? Good and high. Thank you, honey. Thank you. Back there, I see your hand. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. You can put your hands down. That's great. Church, would you pray this prayer with me? Just like those people in Pakistan gave their lives to Christ all the way across the country. There's no distance in our prayers that God hears them there. He hears us here if we say them from our heart and confess with our mouth. Say, Jesus. Everybody say, Jesus. Jesus. Save me. Save. I can't do life without you. Apart from you, I can do nothing. I surrender my life to Jesus Christ as my Savior and as my Lord. I give you the wheel of my life. You're my boss. You're my authority. Help me to live constant in a shifting culture as a Christ follower in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. The Bible says the angels rejoice because you made that decision. And angels rejoice because you've decided to submit to the King of Kings. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand clap all over the room. God bless you. God bless you. Before you go, if you, if you made that decision, or even if you didn't, I just want to encourage you to fill out a connection card and let us know you made that decision. If you take that card down to Guest Central, they have a gift for you and something to help you on your journey of faith. It's no low pressure. It's just there for you. If you need prayer, we want anybody to leave without receiving prayer. Thank you for being here this morning. We love you. Hope to see you next week as we continue our series. God bless. Have a great Sunday afternoon. Talk to you soon.